Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. It is really, really a joy to be here. I am really excited and glad to be a part of this team, a part of this community. Uh, Folks, if you've been here for a little while, you know that God, yes, that's okay, that's good. If you've been here for a little while, uh, you know that um, this is a very, very special place. God is doing something very special and unique here. If you're new, you're going to come to know that really soon, and and I'm really grateful to be a part of it. I've met some of you. I'd love to meet more of you, so please do um, come say hello if you see me uh, wandering around out there. Um, So uh, we've been in this series going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and that was a really powerful passage that uh, Robert just read for us, but it's very easy when you're reading this letter to kind of get lost in what feels like some very lofty concepts. Um, but I want to invite us today to, to appreciate and see and lean in and get this sense and understand more richly that though there are vast concepts within this letter, that in fact this is actually speaking to a very real situation that the, the people of Corinth were facing. And it's not all that different than what we face today, and we're going to take a look at that. So if you wander around the internet at all, uh, which I'm sure most of you do, you probably come across different um, images as you go that kind of don't make sense. And that kind of seems to happen to me a lot. So I saw this picture, and I could not make sense of this, right? This guy is hanging from this wall, and yet he wanted his bike so badly, I guess, that he wouldn't let go of his bike. How did he get into this situation? I have no idea. But then I realized that when you turn the picture a little bit, he's just weirdly like laying down on a sidewalk, And for some reason, you know, when you turn the picture, you start to get a clearer picture of what's of what's going on. Right. I I came across this picture and I was wondering. So you're going to see a lot of dog analogies when I when I teach uh, because I love my dog. And I wondered, like, what did these hipsters put on this dog's paws to get him to stick to that wall? And I thought to myself, Like, this is not fair to that dog until I turn the picture and I realize the dog is looking at them saying, why are you guys laying down on the sidewalk where I pee and do my business? That does not seem normal. I saw this girl with this awesome hair. Uh, She just looks like a rock star. I was at a concert last night, actually. I love going to concerts. And I was like, if she's playing, I would go. And then I realized when I turned the picture around that she's just doing a, a kind of a handstand in the grass. Isn't it something how the way in which we see something, our perspective is so formative. It informs how we see the world. It informs what we value. It informs how we live. It informs how we relate to one another. It it informs what it is that we protect. It informs what it is that we fight for. We've been learning a little bit about this city of Corinth through this, season, through this series. And um, there's something really familiar about the perspective, the way that uh, first century uh, Corinth would see the world. So we learned a little about this already, where Corinth is this bubbling metropolis. It's this commercial city, which actually, shortly before the first century, uh, the, the place was burned to the ground. 
and Julius Caesar rebuilds this city from, the scra from scratch, and it happens really quickly. Over the course of 150 or so years, he builds this city up from nothing to this bubbling metropolis. Very sophisticated people, kind of this society that soared farther and faster than any other society in the world. They had a high value for uh, achievement, a high value for advancement. And that sounded kind of familiar to me. Can any of you think of a country or a place that, I don't know, is, say, like 245 years old that um, soared faster and farther than most other places in the world and is marked by this drive towards achievement and advancement? Anybody think of a place like that? I, I couldn't think of one, but if you come up with one, you know, let me know. Right? If it's, it's this race for advancement that in Corinth, that translated to this drive to achieve at any cost, which naturally brings about this sense of competition. And that competition, um, if it's not healthy, naturally brings about this sense of division. And once you get to division, you're only a small step away from what I would call polarity. Right? Taking that next step that says, not just that my way is different than yours, but in fact, my way is better than yours. And what that means is that I am actually better than you. That's polarity. That's polarization. And it's funny, this paradigm that we as Americans live in, I, I mean, the first century Corinthian uh, city was living in, oops, right? Now, this paradigm that they were living in is it was causing a lot of division, both in the society, in the city as a whole, and within the church. And Paul here is beckoning followers of Jesus to another way. Because Paul here is claiming that we are a renewed people experiencing supernatural unity because God lives in our community. And we're going to just unpack those three simple things as we take a look at chapter 3 today. That we are a renewed people, that we're experiencing supernatural unity because God lives in our community. So let's get right into it. Chapter 3, let's take a look. It starts out like this. It says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Um, um, are you acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So he keeps kind of calling them out, being like, are you not acting like mere humans? Or, or he says, are, are you not mere human beings? All right, so if my kids saw that, he's kind of calling them out, right? If, if my kids, like, call each other out, they'll be like, ooh, sick burn, right? So, and I'm like, sick burn? Like, so sick is good in that context, I guess. He's, he's calling them out. It's this sick burn. He's like, hey, uh, you know, you're mere, are you, are you mere humans? Why are you acting like you are mere humans? But I hear that, and I think to myself, wait, what is the problem here? Uh, I, I am a human, right? So why wouldn't I act like a mere human? 
I think to get a sense of what it is that he's talking about, we have to see that there's a context here. And I love that we're going through this book or this letter verse by verse because when we just kind of pull out some little nugget that has some, some greatly phrased word because it, we, we want to make it into what we want it to be, we're missing out on what it is that the author was trying to, to communicate. And we want to know what he meant from what he said. And so, so there's one line of thought here. So what's happening here in, in, in right before this is that there's what I would call like a, a, a contextual sandwich. All right? So if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Robert started to talk in chapter 1 about how Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he talks about this exact thing, these divisions between like following Paul or following Apollos. And then all of a sudden, in, cha in chapter 3, where we are today, he starts talking about it again. So what is it that lies between chapter 1 and chapter 3? It's a real question. We're in this together. Chapter 2, yes. And then Trevor did a masterful job last week talking about chapter 2, where Paul helps give them a framework, a shift in perspective about this problem of division that they were experiencing. And that framework that's provided in chapter 2, it permeates the rest of this letter. He talks about all kinds of things that are plaguing the human condition. And he says, when you see it through this framework, it changes everything. Right? So Paul paints this picture in chapter 2. We'll do a quick review where Paul paints this picture of these two categories. The wisdom of the world on one side and the wisdom of God on the other. So he starts with the wisdom of the world. Right. So remember, the Corinthians are this very talented people. It's this commercial center. It's marked by accomplishment and achievement. Right. And if, you're, if you were here last week, Trevor used these playing cards and he was saying how they, they had all these characteristics. They had, they had skills and they had talents and they had abilities. And they were using those cards to try to fit into a culture that is marked by uh, self-interest, that's marked by greed, that's marked by factions. They were using their cards to play Corinth's game. The ultimate pursuit, in the words of Paul, in chapter 1, verse 26, was that they were going after wisdom, influence, and privilege, or what, what he would call lineage, right? And then he contrasts that, this wisdom of the world, against the wisdom of God. This new way of being human, this new way of relating to one another, totally different way of seeing the world. Taking one of those photos and thinking it's one thing, and turning it upside down and realizing that it is something else altogether, and he invites them to, to use all that they have, these cards, right, the skills, the ability, the, the talents, to use those things not to advance yourself at all costs. That's, that was Corinth's game, right? But instead to serve others, to love and to make disciples, to build a culture marked by compassion and marked by generosity and marked by unity. In the words of Paul in chapter 1, verse 30, it was to bring about righteousness, to bring about holiness, and to bring about redemption. And just a few verses after kind of describing this whole thing, um, Paul says, no eye has seen, he quotes Isaiah, and he says, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived of the things God has prepared for those new humans who see the world completely differently. But he also speaks of how 
we can catch a glimpse, even though it's like this thing that feels like that no eye has ever seen, that when the Spirit of God is in this renewed group of people, that you catch a glimpse of God's renewed world. That's why at the end of chapter 2, if you remember, Trevor talked about this, where he says, you have the mind of Christ. Meaning that we understand God's plan in the world to renew and restore all things to himself. It's a totally different view of the world. And so he says, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. A renewed person sees things totally differently, sees them through a completely different framework. So there's this stark contrast between the wisdom of the world, what it means to be merely human, and the wisdom of God, what it means to be this renewed human. So when we show compassion to another, we are becoming more of who we are as a renewed human. When we show generosity to another, you are becoming more of who you already are as this renewed human. We tend to think that like, when we try to do the things that God is calling us to do, when we try to be loving, compassionate, um, generous people, that we're like somehow pushing against who we actually are. And Paul is trying to help us understand that it's a shift of perspective. That when you, when you show someone love and generosity and compassion, that you're not pushing against who you are. You are becoming more of who you truly are as a renewed human. It's a totally different way of seeing who we are. Let's get back to chapter 3 for a second. And this is why Paul says, are you merely human? He's saying, you're not. That in Christ, you are not merely human. You're a renewed human. And the problem that Paul was trying to address here was that he was saying the people were not growing up into this renewed human, this renewed person that God had made them to be. That's why he calls them out and he says, you know, you're infants and you should be growing by now, but instead you're in infants. You know, it was interesting. Did you notice like what the marker is that Paul used to show that they're not growing up into this renewed person? He, he doesn't say that they're, they're like lying and cheating or they're, they're sleeping around or they're not spending enough time reading their Bibles. That's not what he calls them out on, right? What does he say? He, he, he says, uh, since there is jealousy, um, since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere humans? It's polarization. It's, it's this disunity that... Uh, Paul is calling out at this, as this marker that they are not growing up into what it means to be this new humanity. But they are renewed humans. They're not mere humans. That God has made them into something new through the gospel. And the amazing part about that is that because uh, we are renewed humans and we are a group of renewed humans, that we have supernatural uh, unity. We have supernatural unity. Let's take a look at that uh, in verse 5. He says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed and Apollos watered it. But God, has God is making it grow. He says, So neither the one 
who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field God's building. Okay, so do we see what's happening here? The people were forming into these factions following these various leaders that came to help build up the church. So some were following Paul, some were following Apollo, some were following Cephas, and they're starting to form into these factions. Okay, so there's going to be a pop quiz in a, sec in a second, all right? So just pay attention to this for a minute, all right? So listen to their perspectives that they're coming in with as they are following these leaders and forming these factions. Their perspective is this. My own advancement is of the highest value. So my way is not just different, but my way is better. And I must be right at all costs. And I will tear you down to make sure I make that known. All right, here's the pop quiz. Is that the wisdom of the world or is that the wisdom of God? The wisdom of the world. That, that it's, it's marked by that self-interest, by that self-ambition. And that's what he's calling them out on. And I know this text, even as Robert was reading it, like you hear it and it sounds like, it sounds like so much, but it's not that different than the world that you and I live in. And he contrasts this merely human perspective, this merely human sort of delusion from the reality of what it means to be a renewed human. He says this mere human perspective is Paul and Apollos are bringing the growth, so you better pick the right horse. You know, you better pick the right one because the human wisdom says it's one of these guys, and if you get it wrong, you're going to be left behind. And he contrasts that with the, the, this perspective of a renewed human. And he says, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Man, I, I, uh, I like this farming analogy, but I am like, I'm terrible at, like, what is the opposite of a green thumb? I don't know. I, I, whatever it is, I have it. So there's this paralegal at my office that brought me this really great plant, and, and like, I watered it, and I sang to it, and I had these great conversations with the plant. And like, no matter what I did, it just kept like withering away. And, uh, and then she would take it home, and she'd bring it back to life, and then, and then she'd bring it back, and then, I, 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 don't know. I don't know. You know what I did realize, though? That no matter what I do, though I can do all of the right things, I do not cause the growth. And these farmers in that time period, they would have really understood that and resonated with that. That the farmer doesn't cause the growth, but in fact, he services the crops, and the growth is out of his control. Do you see what Paul is getting at here? He's talking about how we are not in control, that God is the one who makes things grow. And that's a relief because he knows far more than we do, isn't it? And, and you know, it's, it's, there were these new humans. Uh, these new humans see that they can trust God because they have the mind of Christ. And these mere humans were scurrying around trying to, to make the plants grow themselves rather than trusting the one who had the power to do it. And that experience is what is all too familiar to me. The extent to which I run around and scurry around in life, the amount of time that I spend trying to prove that I'm right and that my way is better. Hey, Thanksgiving's coming up pretty soon, guys. Maybe, um, you know what's a great place to like bring up a political conversation and try to prove that you're right? It's the Thanksgiving table, right? Everyone does that, right? 
No, that's a terrible idea. Just eat some turkey and like go on home, right? But, but it, it's kind of built in. You want to, right? Old grandpa says something and you're like, ooh, that didn't, that didn't quite sit right. And you want, to, you want to prove to him that he's right. And that's kind of the paradigm that they were living in. But Paul says, you are God's field. And God is the one that causes your growth. And he uses another analogy, we'll go through quickly, where he just says, you are God's building. So he says in verse, uh, verse 10, he says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, in this analogy, right, Paul, Paul and Apollos are what? They are the builders, right? And who is the foundation in this analogy? Christ himself is the foundation. So who is the building that he talks about? He says, you all, that we are God's building. And his larger point here is that when we see things through the eyes of our renewed humanity, we have supernatural unity because we are God's building. That though every person in this room, though we are all different shapes and sizes, that that is not what matters because every stone, every brick is placed next to another. And it's a different shape than the one next to it. And it's a different shape than the one above it and below it and diagonally to the right of it. But each of these stones are together, one next to another, making up God's building. That we are God's building. And God lives in that building. We'll close with this idea that God lives in our community. Look at what he says next in verse 16. He says, Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So the original language here, like most languages actually other than English, have two different words for you, right? Whereas we have you and then you have to figure out from the context whether it's, uh, whether it's a singular or it's a plural. Um, whereas in the Greek, there's a separate word for the singular you, like I'm talking to one of you, and then... The other word for you that we don't really have in English, unless you live maybe in the South, like I've got some family that lives in Dallas, they have a word for the plural you. You know what it is? Y'all, right? And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, don't you know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So I'm not going to make you like stare someone down and do this, but like just take a, take a look around the room. Just like kind of turn your head, look around, look around this room, in this community, in this place where God is at work. And let's say it all together. Let's say y'all are God's temple. Ready? One, two, three. Y'all are God's temple. Yes. That's what he's getting at here. He's saying this is the place where God lives. He lives in our community. Isn't that amazing? And this is not a mere human existence. And this is not a mere gathering of mere humans. This is the place where God 
lives. This idea of God's temple is a very rich concept. It harkens all the way back to the Old Testament, where, where God instructs his people to build this tabernacle, this place where his presence would live. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and Jesus is the embodiment of God's presence. He's like this mobile temple embodying God's presence. And then Jesus comes, and he dies, and he rises again, and he says to his followers, he puts his spirit into them. And then do you know who becomes the bearer of God's presence? Y'all, right? Together, collectively, together, he gives his spirit to his church. And that's the reason why he, he, he paints this picture. He says, when, when you see things differently, this is the place where humanity is marked by compassion and generosity and, and unity in the pursuit of righteousness and holiness and, and redemption. Those things exist in this place, in this community, because God lives here. You didn't just stumble into a room full of people this morning. You didn't just stumble into a room full of mere humans. Let's flip this picture upside down, friends. Life and death are not what you think they are. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And the world that we see around us is not what you think they are. And this gathering of people is not just a group of really friendly people that like to sing together. That this is the place where God lives, where he brings his renewed world to bear. That this community, as it's marked by compassion and generosity and unity, as it pursues righteousness and holiness and redemption, that we bring light to the world. And everything that this community touches absorbs that goodness, absorbs that light. Isn't that awesome? The church is so much more than we think that it is. That's why he says, don't you know that you are God's temple, that y'all are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Look at what he says as he goes on to verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. That first part, you know, it's this warning to leaders. We didn't get too much into it in verse 14 and 15 before that. It sounded a little confusing to you maybe, but it's a warning to church leaders. That's what makes my job so scary. But that's kind of what he's getting at here. And he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, that person will be destroyed. You know why? Because God's temple, this place where we live, where God's presence lives in our midst, in the midst of our community, is sacred. You together are that temple. You know, together, we, when, we, when we see one another and we allow ourselves to be shaped by one another, not a community marked by polarity or by division or even by unhealthy competition, but one marked by unique supernatural oneness where we are not the same, but we are one. It's something that does not make sense to the world around us. New humans have a new way of relating to one another because we have the Spirit of God in us. And that is what this whole letter is about. That mere humans were divided because each person and each group was just trying to protect its own rights and find a way to prove that they were right. But this new community of new humans was not marked by protecting our rights, but was marked by giving away our rights for the benefit of another. And if that feels like, oh, that's me trying to become something I'm not, it's just the opposite. That in Christ, when we lay down our rights for another, you are becoming more of who you are in the gospel. 
Let's flip this picture upside down, friends. Let's see it for what it really is. That's why he says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So then no, so, you know, I'm going to go back. We'll get, that, we'll get to that verse in one moment. But, you know, he, he, he's asking them to kind of flip upside down their perspective on this. He's asking them to, to appreciate more that when you've been wronged and you show kindness to the offender, that the, the game that the world around us is playing says that you lose. And <laughs> look at what he says here in this last, uh, in this last verse. Let's, let's land the plane with this in verse 21. He says, So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Trevor said this great last week. He said, you have already won. He says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All things are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Do you, do you see what he's saying here? All things are yours. We play this game with the skills and the abilities and the talents and the gifts that God has given us. And we play this game in this paradigm, this way of seeing those photos that says, I need to protect my own rights. And yet we're being invited to know that you have already won in Christ. And that we can be a community that's marked by compassion and generosity and unity and pursuing righteousness and pursuing holiness because we have already won in Christ. You know, it's funny. They, it says you're not, you know, it says... Um, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Like, it's funny. We, we read that first verse, and it, it, it's translated like, I follow Paul or I follow um, uh, Apollos. But it's actually more literally, it's I'm Paul's, is what they were saying. They were saying, I'm Apollos's. I'm Paul's. I'm Cephas's. That's the reason why Paul points it out here. He says, all things are yours. That includes Paul and that includes Apollos. It's not that you're Paul's. It's that Paul is yours. Because what he's getting at is that these church leaders are here to help build the building, to cultivate the field. So they're not Paul's. Paul is theirs. The leaders of this church you know, you're not theirs, they're yours. Now, that doesn't mean that you get to ask Robert to go, like, wash your car or something, you know, after church. But what it does mean is that he is here, and we are all here as, as leaders to, to come together and, and cultivate God's field and build up God's building. And you all play a role in that, too, because everyone here is a leader in one way or another. He says, life is yours. The scriptures say that, that God has given to his followers the keys to the kingdom. That, that a renewed life is yours in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that not only will you experience sort of the, 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 the fullness of what it means to be alive, but you will bring life to everything you touch. That's what this community does as this renewed community where God lives, where everything you touch, where as this community lives out this little microcosm of the kingdom of God, this place marked by these good things that is the character of God, that everything that we touch absorbs that goodness, absorbs that, that compassion, absorbs that unity. And that's how, that's how his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It comes through y'all. 
I'm including myself in that. It comes through us, what God is doing here in this place. Look at what he says. Death is yours. That the power of the gospel is that Jesus came and he died and he rose. You know, the scriptures talk about the risen Christ as the, the firstborn of a new creation. The first fruit from among the dead. What he's getting at is that Jesus was the very first renewed human. The very first one over whom death did not have the last word. And friends, that is now true of you and it is true of me. That death does not have the last word over you. That just as Jesus was this renewed human over whom death did not have the last word, that is now true of you. We are bearers of the presence of Jesus. God's presence started in that tabernacle. It went to Jesus and now it's in whom? Y'all. Right? Let's just keep saying it. We should just bring it up. Let's, let's, you know, the Northeast can use the word y'all, right? Come on. Why just them? We can use it, right? The present is yours. Christ came to make all things new. He is bringing his kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven in this moment. Who's he doing it through? Y'all. Yes, you're getting it. He's doing it through this community where he lives. A group of renewed humans bearing out the presence of Jesus. The future is yours, that a day will come when God completes what he started. You know, when Jesus came and he, he came and he lived and he died and he rose again, he initiated this kingdom. He, he fulfilled promises that he had made to his people a couple thousand years before then. And he fulfills these promises and he brings to bear, he initiates this renewed world marked by a renewed humanity that started with one renewed human, Jesus himself. And then he gives his presence to you and to me to bring about his good world. And a day will come when he's going to finish what he started. And in the meantime, here we are bringing about his kingdom in the world around us where everything we touch is absorbing his goodness. But he will return and he's going to finish the job. And we are going to enjoy a world, a kingdom, where every tear is wiped away and there's no, more, there's no more illness and no more sadness. And we'll just be rejoicing together in God's perfect world with every person functioning in the way that they were created to live. And as the person that they were created to be. Friends, 1 Corinthians is awesome. I'm telling you. It's, um, it, I know it sounds confusing when you read it, kind of, but I would encourage you to spend some time with it if you have some time. L listen, li like Robert said, it was meant to be read as one letter. Um, people got up and read this letter to the, to the masses, and it was just like one train of thought. And um, I'm a pretty slow reader, and it takes me maybe 20 minutes, you know, kind of read the whole thing. And if you got some time and you can, you, can, you can read it and read through it from start to finish, I'd encourage you to do that a few times this week. Things are going to start to leap off of the page, but not in a vacuum. They're going to start to leap off the page as this one continuous thought of what he's trying to communicate here. That in all of the things that plague the human condition, in the ways that we have messed up sexual ethics, and the ways that we have messed up the way we relate to each other, and the ways that we have become so self-centered, and, and the ways that the, the world, the wisdom of the world uses these cards, that we are, in fact, new humans, and seeing all of those difficult conditions through a picture that is not upside down, but that is right side up. That it's who you were created to be all along. That we are a microcosm of God's kingdom. So friends, let's not live like mere humans. Because we are renewed people experiencing supernatural unity. Because God lives 
in this community, community of his people. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.